Welcome to Slime House, home of the Slime House. Oh, that was good. That was a good one. <laughs> I'm Jared. I'm Max. I'm Mike. And I'm Nelson. And today we're covering 1997's Good Burger. Hey, Alfalfa, would you please take my order? Ooh, sorry. No can do. I'm the drive through guy. You need the counter guy. Hey, where's Ed? Ed! Yeah. <laughs> Morning, girls! <laughs> This summer, Nickelodeon's hit comedy. Ah, sorry. Hits the big screen. Ooh. Welcome to Good Burger, home of the Good Burger. Can I take your order? Good Burger. So, Good Burger, the film, it follows high schooler Dexter Reed, who takes a summer job at the titular restaurant Good Burger to pay for damaging his teacher's car. There, he and his coworker Ed find themselves in the middle of a fast food war between Good Burger and the newly established Mondo Burger across the street. All right, so as we kind of mentioned, this is our Nickelodeon production of spinoff of Keenan and Kel, which in itself was a spinoff of all that. It was directed by Brian Robbins, who actually is currently the Nickelodeon president, and he created all that. Wrote and produced Big Fat Liar, one of our prior films, one of our slimiest films. And he went on to direct a lot of Slimehouse movies, like the Shaggy Dog remake with Tim Allen, and a lot of later Eddie Murphy movies, like Meet Dave, Norbit, and A Thousand Words. Um, it was written by a team including Dan Schneider, who is, has quite a bad reputation now, but he was the head writer and executive producer of all that. And he created Keenan and Kel, Amanda Show, Drake and Josh, pretty much any live-action Nick show you can name up until the later ones, like iCarly and Victorious, as well as Kevin Coppolo and Heath Seifert, who were also all that, and Keenan and Kel writers. And it was actually scored by Stuart Copeland, who is the drummer for The Police. And he also scored one of our prior films, Airborne, which had a very interesting score. I think we noted in the episode how much we like that score. Hmm. Didn't know. The cast is headlined by Keenan and Kel, Keenan Thompson, Kel Mitchell, from that all that Keenan and Kel duo. And then in sporting roles, you've got Abe Vigoda, Sinbad in his first appearance on this podcast, but not his last. And in a small role, the film debut of Linda Cardellini, along with many other cameos and supporting roles. It was her film debut? According to IMDb, it was her first Yeah, huh? yeah. Ah. It's her first role. Freaks and Geeks was just a couple years away. Well, I'll, I'll get one cameo right off the bat, uh, since we talked about Stuart Copeland, another music legend who uh, his, his, also is very present in the music for this, is George Clinton. And we see him towards the end of the movie, and I won't spoil how it happens, but there's definitely a few cuts in the music here that feel more like George Clinton's sound than the Stuart Copeland sound we've been hearing so far. We do hear a police cover at one point in the movie when Carmen Electra shows up in another cameo. I think her name is Roxanne as well for that purpose. Yeah. To, to yes. sell the joke further. Exactly. It came out in July 1997, was released around the same time as another Slimehouse staple that we haven't covered yet, which is George of the Jungle, the Brendan Fraser film. Prime slime year, prime slime era. So uh, I think a good place to start here is what's everyone's personal experiences with this movie. I think this is one we've been waiting to get to for quite a while. Actually, Mike, since you're uh, welcome back on the show, since you're the guest, you can go first. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me back. I it's exciting to be back because now I realize I'm like the Eddie Murphy of the Slimehouse podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I just keep showing up. But I, my experience with this movie, I feel like it was one of the first like Nickelodeon movies that was like in theaters. I might be wrong. 
but like one of the first major ones. But I saw this with my friends, and it was probably one of the first times we like kept quoting movies over and over again. So that's why the minute you guys said you were doing this one, I was like, yes, this is awesome. Like, Good Burger is a staple. It like it literally like everything about it seems slime to me. Um, and it has prominent African-American actors in it, which is not common, especially back in 97. So, uh, yeah, it's a great movie to start. Yeah, uh, this was, yeah, this was actually the second Nickelodeon. I just heard you mention that. This was the second theatrical Nickelodeon movie after Harriet the Spy. And I think it feels the most Nickelodeon of those two. So I feel like it's really like Nickelodeon sort of entry into the theatrical world with sort of their brand of humor and style. Uh, yeah, my family for so well, Sakeem and Kel and all that was a little bit before my time. I saw it every now and then, but my main experience with the duo of those two was for some reason my family, I think it was one of my cousins or something, ended up with like a VHS tape recording just like off the TV <laughs> of a Keenan and Kel Halloween special called Two Heads Are Better Than One. And like we would watch it all the time, even like not on Halloween. And like my whole family, even like my grandparents, thought it was the funniest thing. But like they were like they weren't showing Keenan and Kel reruns really at the time, so there wasn't anywhere else to see it. And then in middle school, I think me and my friends discovered Good Burger. Uh, rediscovered <laughs> it because we'd seen like clips from it and stuff and thought it was funny so we watched it a lot and this is actually one of the most importantly perhaps this is one of the three original Slimehouse films to start the list alongside Haunted Mansion and um, Garfield 2 A Tale of Two Kitties but uh, we'll get into how slimy this movie is later but as we have seen the being an early Slimehouse movie on the list doesn't necessarily mean you're one of the slimiest because Haunted Mansion left us quite cold but Good Burger, I don't think that's the case. Interestingly enough, this was one of the first movies we thought about when we were starting this podcast. By that I mean a year ago before we reached out to Max about uh, doing this podcast, um, Nelson, Jasper, and I would, this was like at the very beginning of the pandemic, I think, we would watch a few movies on Netflix Party, as it was called, a year and a half ago. And I think the first two movies we watched and we you know we had like kind of discussions after it hey is there is there enough material here to really you know mine for a whole episode's worth it was this and furry vengeance so i watched this for the first time a year and a half ago um in that context and i didn't see this movie when it was released in theaters but i did watch my fair share of all that i when i was a really young kid i would have piano lessons out in emeryville california and my piano teacher's son was really into all that and the other Nickelodeon shows and I just kind of all that theme song in my head it just brings me back to those that kind of like set of memories of taking piano lessons and yeah perhaps it's a little embarrassing to admit but I had not seen this movie either prior to April of 2020 when we did that uh, Netflix watch and when kind of back when the pandemic was a very novel thing you know shameful I'll I'll, I'll tell you why it might it's not much of a defense but I remember my sister and I were big Rugrats fans, and we would get the Rugrats uh, episode collections on video. Always had a either orange or yellow VHS case, and in front of every Rugrats collection was a Good Burger ad, and we always were just like, "Ew, gross! He has French fries in his nose," and <laughs> so we never watched it because we always just thought that was really gross. So it it almost was too Slimehouse for us uh-huh. at the time. Yeah, it was too, it crossed the line. Yeah. Too, <laughs> the head of its time. I think part of the reason I missed this, and also like the first Rugrats movie, 
and like the Powerpuff Girls movie that came out a few years after that is that like parents see like a movie that's based off like a TV show <laughs> and they're like, why would we go out to the theater to watch this? We have this at home. It's like the meme where like you ask your mom if we can have Taco Bell and then like she says we have Taco Bell at home and then Taco Bell at home is just the oh yeah Ortega <laughs> TV dinners. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that was definitely like I feel like TV shows, that, especially like Nickelodeon, because that was such like I feel like parents kind of designed to irritate parents. Probably the type <laughs> of movies that like parents would want to like yeah send the babysitters with the kids to see because they were kind of designed to be like obnoxious and in the like a good way but just like anarchic and obnoxious and be like irritating to adults and appeal to the childlike anarchy of slime house i totally get that and like it's it wasn't like nickelodeon wasn't allowed in my house like like south park was was like too inappropriate and wasn't allowed to watch that but like nickelodeon was not encouraged if that makes sense it does i mean that's and we talked about this a lot on our orange years episode but they Nickelodeon was always meant to be kind of counterculture. And I think one thing that's important to note is people sometimes think when I tell them I do a podcast called Slime House, we think it's exclusively Nickelodeon. And I think we often have to make a caveat saying like, no, the Slime House movement was bigger than just one company. But I think for today, we should like kind of own the fact that this is like not only quintessential Slime House, but quintessential Nickelodeon in so many ways. Right from the get-go, I think... You have this opening logo of the Nickelodeon movie, and it's a it's a melted, slimy slushy that pours out. And I do remember when Jared Jasper and I did the Netflix watch party, which didn't work as well as I think I thought it would, just because it was like hard to hear when you have both two types of audio. But I just remember that very beginning being like, "Oh yeah, this is Slimehouse, if there ever was one, before the movie even begins." Yeah, like, I remember we, there's like, there was like a comment bar, like, there would be on like a Twitch stream or something on Netflix parties, so we just resorted to using that for commenting on the slimy moments. <laughs> and like, when Linda Cardellini showed up, we all freaked out. Yeah, we didn't know she was in it. Yeah, I'd uh, seen the movie before, and I was shocked. I completely forgot that she showed up. I've seen the movie a lot, and somehow that just like, and I remembered that whole, like, meant that, that hospital scene, but I didn't remember her presence in it. Yeah. You know when you're like a super fan of something and you have like you want to get like so upset because you're like how could you have not listened to Ugh. this? That's me right now. <laughs> I'm like you 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 guys not seen this movie until last year was the biggest disrespectful thing to happen to the African American <laughs> community in 2020. As a movie person, people always say you've never seen blank and you know sometimes you just haven't seen it, you know? Like there I I could give you a list of some movies that I'm embarrassed to have not seen. Yeah, there's some there's some crazy movies that I haven't seen. Like <laughs> too embarrassed to even go into them on <laughs> air. Yeah. The fact that you guys still liked it and enjoyed it, that's a testament to the timelessness of the movie. So I appreciate that. I, I thought it held up really well. I thought it was still super funny. And I think both Keenan and Kel are both really good comedic actors and they're a really good duo in this. And I wish I mean Keenan obviously has had a very successful career, but it made me wish that Kel would have gone on to some more because i think he's super funny in this movie and i think his character is a very key slime house character i think kel is like he's like a voice actor and does some stuff every now and then so he's not he's not as big as keenan but honestly like back in the 90s for both of them to like have their own tv show to come from all that which is like kids snl and then have this movie in theaters like no other kids are really doing that like saved like macaulay culkin and like 
Haley Joel Osment for like a second, like a couple years after that. So I think it's awesome that Keenan is like still kicking ass today. Yeah, like for maybe one of the longest like streaks of like any comedy career I can think of, just as far as like, I mean, he's just about to get his own sitcom, which is like kind of a new, a new high for him. And it's like, he's been in show business for like pretty much his whole life. Yeah, I think there's a really good point there of usually in movies, they they have to designate it as a black guy and a white guy to kind of counterbalance it. I'm thinking of like Men in Black or The Matrix where that's just, you know, how movies operate. But uh, in this one, you get two black leads, which is really cool. And there's another way it's subversive, which is, you know, going back to like the old days, there's usually that opposites attract thing where you've got kind of the smart guy and the and the doofus guy and the kind of comedy between them, the two of them. And usually the skinny guy is the smart one and the and the chubbier larger one is is the kind of the the dope or whatever like think about like stan and ollie or something like that um but in this one it kind of flips chris farley chris, yeah, oh, yeah chris farley tommy David boy Spade, yeah it's perfect yeah, yeah exactly it's like a very it's it, it's beyond slime house it's sort of a bigger movie comedy trope the straight man and the funny man and in this one they kind of subverts that because keenan is really the straight man and Kel is the kind of goofy, loony one, even though you wouldn't have guessed that necessarily based on traditional casting. So I agree. It's like, it's a cool movie in that it's sort of, it feels like a splash of something brand new. And I think that it, it coming out in 1997, which is right when I feel like, you know, slime the Slimehouse wave was really about to, you know, crest with the turn of the end of the 20th century as well. I mean, you look at that cover where they're on like an orange wave and I feel like these guys were like riding the orange wave to the top, you know, and, yeah. and starting this slime house movement as we knew it. This movie, I think it was a, a pretty moderate success, but slime house, it's something you would think we see a lot where the movies do okay in theaters and then have long legs on VHS and home video. And I think this is a perfect example of that because... I feel like this movie, the, 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 when I think of this movie, even if I watched it for the first time on Netflix or something, I very much think of like the classic like orange box VHS tape type movie. And I remember seeing this on like commercials on other Nickelodeon VHS tapes. And it just, it very much feels like an image of like kids media at an era. It kind of feels like the birth of Slime House as like, it was when proto-slime became full-slime was right around this time. Yeah, these types of movies often are... I feel like comedies in general sometimes find their audiences at, at home based on maybe they're not as much of an event in theater to draw people to theaters. But yeah, even though I'm not the best example, I, I've seen so many ads for Good Burger in front of literally every Nickelodeon videotape. And so I think that that must have drawn in more slime house friendly kids than me <laughs> yeah and i think ed is really a perfect character to look at to kind of represent this period in time because he feels like but what i kind of noted while i was watching is he feels like a combination of like the like childlike like takes everything literally because he's not like a dumb guy in the way that he's like an adult really or like he like like he, he's dumb and like He's literally like has the mind of like a child. Like he'll take things totally literally. Like someone says, "Watch your butt." He turns around and looks, which I thought reminded me a lot of Pee Wee Herman, who I think is a important proto slime character. And then sort of combined with like the surfer dude, like '90s, like extreme, like Polly Shore type. And I think when you bring those two together, you reach sort of a 
that sort of show, like, I feel like that kind of represents what Slimehouse is, combining kind of, like, classic, more, like, slapstick-inspired comedy with, like, the modern wave of, like, cool, hip comedy. And I think Ed is just the perfect Slimehouse in, in one character. I think Slime, he, if he represents... If any character represents Slimehouse, I think it's Ed. And he gets like he even gets a lot of good mess scenes, which I think is crucial. Uh-huh. A very food-centric character as well. Just everything slimy, all in one, one package there. Yeah, I want to write off that because, uh, I mean, you, you, you've kind of touched upon how he takes everything literally. And it reminds me a lot of like Drax and Guardians of the Galaxy, particularly. But I think there's something about how everyone around him in this movie really underestimates him and how like he always comes out on top and I especially feel this way like towards the very end of the movie where he's kind of explaining why he didn't steal a chemical from the rival Mondo Burger and he goes into this very lengthy monologue about the legal system and how um, since Mondo Burger is a bigger company they could have manipulated the legal system to with these um, litigators and I just love this, that kind of like intentional inconsistency of Ed and how he's just like this perfect kind of like childlike id in that, you know, people think they know him and then all of a sudden he kind of shows them up and is in some ways smarter than everyone else. Yeah, and I think the character also has a lot of like heart, which I think is good for the character. Like that's something I'd forgotten about the movie until rewatching it. Yeah. Sort of his relationship, like him and Keenan becoming friends, like real friends, and not just Keenan using him for the business deal. <laughs> I think it's a it's a sweet friendship, as you kind of see, like because I mean Keenan gets into it, kind of like tricking him into signing over this contract just for purely selfish motives, and seeing them get close, I think is a a nice relationship. It's a good cinematic friendship. There's another element that I think really sells Ed as a slime mask character, which is all of the cartoon sound effects that are added to him and just like the cartoon nature of him where he can like put stuff in his ears or like twist his head all the way around. And so, and I think that we always talk about slime house as like cartoons come to life. And and I think that really selling some of his gags with those sound effects kind of makes him into more of like this, this cartoon character. And yeah, I love that subversion of expectations where you sort of you realize that ed's a lot smarter than we think he is kind of and i think that i don't know if that's a slime house trope but i think that's just a, a great way to like end with your protagonist where you know he is kind of a, like uh he is kind of a doofus throughout the movie but you realize like a he's got the heart of gold which really makes him endearing and then b he's he's more clever than meets the eye yeah, I think he's definitely a character like the, a kid can like see themselves in that a kid can see is like aspirational in a way yeah. because he like <laughs> yes I agree yeah like feels like a very kid character in a, the best way. Everybody wants to be Ed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like if you're gonna quote like you're gonna leave the theater, I feel like Ed is who you who you quote. Like I can just see people being like, "Watch your butt," and like, "Oh, I'm watching my butt." You know, <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> it is impossible. Uh-huh. <laughs> Something as an adult watching it, I feel like other adults or like older parents and stuff probably knew when they were seeing it is that i think the character is like definitely based on like a stoner and like uh the guy from what is it what's his face his character oh, show? Yeah. His character no, from? Fast or, no, yeah. or no fast Sorry, times fast yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. jeff spicoli yeah 
it's McCall, yeah. So like, I feel like we didn't get that as kids, but he definitely like if you add the element that Edge is high as fuck or high as shit all, most of the time, uh, that yeah, this probably what's going. Yeah, I mean, on. you even get like the 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 hallucination scene at the beginning, like the weird yes. like talking hamburgers. That feels like something that would be a weird like over the top like stoner gag in some a more adult movie. I think like. Coded stoners is something we talked about with Snow Day, which I think is a, just a few years, like a year or two after this. And it's also a Nickelodeon movie where there's a character in that movie too who's like very clearly meant to be like the textbook stoner character, the token like stoner, but you can't put weed in it. So he just acts weird all the time. And that's, and then like, and he's like kind of a cool, like laid back guy. And he's always eating French fries. And yeah. that, I'm so glad you brought that up, Mike, because. The classic example of this is Scooby-Doo, where Scooby and Shaggy are very clearly coded stoners, you know, and they eat their Scooby snacks and they're, they're hungry, hungry all the time. time. Like a, got like the yeah. whole hippie slang down, which I feel like the sort of like Pauly Shore surfer bro voice is the, yeah. the mod, the 90s version of that. Velma also smoked. Let's not leave her out because she went with oh, them yeah. too. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, and then she would lose uh -huh. her glasses. Velma remember, also on. appears in the Piers in this movie. So. Uh -huh. <laughs> Linda Cardellini herself. <laughs> that is such an important part of Slimehouse of like, I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess it just speaks to like who writes these movies, you know? It's like they, yeah, they're the behavior of Ed. Yeah, it definitely has that like the the guy in the in the couch, you know, kind of laying back and yes, but is wiser than we all expect. <laughs> yeah, and I think that another thing that makes him feel like such sort of a like a kid like proxy is the way that the adults in the movie or other adults, I guess he's a high schooler, and I'm not sure exactly how old he's supposed to be, sort of. That is a question I had. Yeah. We can talk about that in a minute. But yeah, the way the adults sort of treat Ed in the movie is I feel like they're always treated, if they're like, if there's customers or his boss or his coworkers are frustrated with him, like they're like the lame one trying to keep Ed down, keep him from being himself. Like, even when he, like, like I love Ed, but, like, it, when he's, like, swimming around in the milkshake machine and, like, his coworkers are, like, telling him that he can't be doing that. Like, we're supposed to be, like, oh, they're the man keeping Ed from doing his fun gags. Like, they're all sort of, like, everyone sort of fills the teacher role trying to keep Ed's hijinks down in this movie other than, and even Keenan for a majority of the movie kind of is just treats him like, what the hell are you doing? Like, get away from me. You're, you're weird. Like everyone he's misunderstood and i think that that's a good character for kids to to really latch on to excuse me look i ordered one good burger with nothing on it and that's what i gave you no you gave me a bun just a bun look there's no meat in here but you said you wanted nothing on it yes well i expected a meat patty dude a meat patty is something you said nothing Fizz, is a meat patty something or nothing? Uh, something? I win. All right, that rips it. I am reporting your name to the manager. The manager already knows my name. I think another thing to say is we're recording this on Labor Day weekend, and it's kind of in our scheduling, kind of like the last of our summer slime movies, like Recess School's Out was the beginning of the season and was also kind of in the same spirit as like a summer movie. It's set during summertime because the main character of Dexter is out of school and he's like a high school student. And I think that's interesting because most of the movies we've covered that we've deemed as like pure slime are like kids who are in school. And this is like the first movie where I think it's more about like the main setting is not 
the school environment, but like the work environment of the summer job. And there's an element of it like being like actual like paid labor that I think is new to the show, actually, as far as movies we've covered so far. And I think mm-hmm. to go there, I think a lot of the tropes that we see in this have to do with like kind of rival businesses and Good Burger being framed as these underdogs in the true Slimehouse, you know, main character fashion. And another thing is the colorful cast of characters that work at the Good Burger that we've already kind of gotten into. But I think just that environment that you're drawn into in this movie makes it really unique relative to other Slimehouse movies so far. Yeah, it's funny. We've talked a lot about Ed being the you know quintessential Slimehouse guy, but but I think that Dexter, played by Keenan Thompson, has some Slimehouse element where he's a slacker and his ultimate goal is to do nothing for the summer, and that is considered like the best summer ever. Like I'm gonna sleep in till noon. I'm gonna hang out outside and do it all again the next day. And then his plans are kind of foiled by having to work all summer and i think that that is a very slimehouse premise i agree we have not really talked about the workplace as a kids movie or a slimehouse movie element but that kind of like oh man i gotta work all summer as as jasper would say bummer summer (laughs) (laughs) yes all of his co-workers okay so like there's a guy the josh server from uh all that but there's that guy, there's that like blonde haired chick, and then there's Ed. And I was confused about the age because we keep saying high school, but why did Ed go straight to work and all of them are there? And then Dexter gets leaves school. So I was like, are they college age? Yeah, because Dexter, we know his age because he's in school. But yeah, we never, we never really get an idea of, of Ed as far as I know. Maybe he's college age. He seems like he could be a little older, especially because, yeah, he wakes up and goes straight to work. So I assume school is of no of no matter to, to Ed. I feel like Ed probably mm-hmm. like has a degree already, but just like did it online or something like that. <laughs> He's just already graduated yeah. early. He's a... But uh, we do know the age of the fry cook, that old ass guy. Cause they say like, he's like 70 something years old. And he's, like, about to die. They do some, like, some really dark, like, old... Like, we talk about, like, there's a lot of humor of having, like, old people acting, like, young. But this gets a lot of humor out of just, like, aren't old people so old? Like, that's (laughs) the joke. Like, there's... His introduction scene is, like, it cuts over to him. And they're, like, he can take the fry cook job. And they're, like, but but whatever his name is has that job. And they're, like, yeah, but how much longer is he going to be alive? And it cuts over. And he's, like, on oxygen as he makes the fries. It's just like a dark gag. And that's pretty much his whole character gag. It's just like that he's going to die soon. And that's, and I think it's kind of a, I think it's kind of a play on the fact that Abe Vigoda, there were like constantly rumors that Abe Vigoda was dead or it was just like a running gag that people would be like, is Abe Vigoda still alive? And I think it was kind of playing on that by having Abe Vigoda in the role. But I was a little pissed by that. Because I was like, first of all, like, he was actually, like, 70-something at that time. And then, so I looked up, and I was like, Morgan Freeman's, like, almost 90. Michael Caine, Al Pacino, Clint Eastwood, Betty White is almost 100. Like, all it's like, they made 75 look really freaking well, actually, yeah, they were really up, singling him out. Okay, so that brings up a really interesting point about <laughs> older movies. There's a movie called Marty, Best Picture Winner from 1955. One of my favorite classic movies. And there's a moment where the the grandma is like, she's like this little old Jewish, or not Jewish, a little old Italian lady. And she's like, my life is over. Once you have kids and they leave, it's over. (laughs) And then her friend is like, how old are you, lady? And she's like, 56 years old. And and she's like ancient in the movie. And I saw it in a theater and it plays so funny because 
most people who watched it in the theater were older than 56 but looked you know decades younger and i i think that our perception of age is totally different because yeah that boomer and and greatest generation and silent generation like the generations that got to live through the 20th century are you know gonna live so much longer we don't know what's gonna happen with our generation yeah. but that's a subject for another day um <laughs> but i think that our perception of age is so different whereas like even in the 90s being in your 70s was considered really old whereas like nowadays like it's just a 70 year old is yeah, spring chicken comparatively yeah like i feel like the fact that it's like just not that long ago like 75 was old enough that like your whole joke in the movie can be like he's old isn't he so old it's like it really shows <laughs> the standards of like the, the the life expectancy the standards have changed for what defines an extremely old man and yeah i think another another one his co-workers i think we haven't mentioned this there's the one like it's the guy from varsity blues i don't know the actor's name but he plays like a fry cook who's like a big guy and he's like just he's the source of a lot of there's a lot of food humor in this not necessarily gross out humor other than just like ick there's food everywhere but he gets some of the gross out humor in the movie particularly he eats a fly at one point in his introduction and he's a bizarre character because he's sort of this just like lumbering silent behemoth and he feels like a slimy bit to me having this this like weird monster like ogreish man that eats flies working as one of the co-workers the whole ca casting of characters at good burger I would agree. Very slimy. And also, like we were saying, uh, something, going back to this movie sort of as a workplace movie, at a lot of times this movie reminded me of, the, of Recess, Schools Out, because of the summer setting and just sort of like the stumbling upon some deep conspiracy that you have to bust. But the thing about that movie is you see his sister, she's a minor character in the movie, and she works like the summer job at a fast food place, but you don't really see much of her storyline. You mm. see the younger kids. So this to me kind of felt like recess for the slightly older audience that could relate to TJ's sister more than they could relate to TJ himself. And instead of like his friends being at summer camp, it's his, he has to get a job. Like It's just like a, a slightly aged up recess in a lot of ways. And I thought that was cool to see, especially since like, We've kind of talked about Nickelodeon's influence on Recess, that being a Disney movie. And they, he drives a car at the beginning of the movie, which is unusual for Slimehouse. Usually they're on bikes or scooters or things like that. Well, a little piece of 90s nostalgia is now at the High Point Drive-In. The Burger Mobile from the movie Good Burger is now inside the eatery on McCausland Avenue. The vehicle was restored to what it was when it showed up in the 1997 Nickelodeon film. The owner of the High Point Drive-In says that he bought it for 10000 bucks and it cost 25000 to restore. Have some orange soda inside that, John. No doubt. 90s kids will remember that. Mm, looks delicious. <laughs> Going from cars to food, I really want to shout out the good burger delivery mobile in this movie because it is awesome it has a french fry like a crinkle cut french fry as the windshield wiper and that my friends is aces yeah i think the slimiest vehicle that i think we've seen is this burger car it's just like a yeah. a wacky cartoon food like on wheels that also like ends up getting into lots of hijinks along the way just like all kinds of like stunts and things like that and real stunts too i i yeah i, yeah. I love yeah, seeing a movie that's one thing that just sucks about movies today is they don't even like a, a, a low budget movie like this would never do a cool stunt but this one gets to do a cool stunt and i love it mm -hmm. and sort of go yeah off the burger car i mean that's 
one of the more prominent examples of food, but we talk about food so much, and I don't think we've had any movie as food-centric as Good Burger. I mean, it has a burger in the name. It's set at a fast food place, but there's food all over this movie. Yeah, when I wrote my Slimehouse article about Slimehouse food, I, I feel like Good Burger is just kind of, you know, the, the quintessential. I mean, it's everywhere in this movie, and... and and I think that this is a movie that's like the perfect like textbook example of how much Slimehouse and food go hand in hand because like, I don't know, just playing with your food and, you know, putting it in places it's not supposed to be. And then, you know, kind of like fun, fun food, you know, like the food you'd eat at the arcade or, you know, at a fast food place or at a diner. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I think fast food in particular lends itself so well to Slimehouse because you have like the messy condiments, the foods, especially like in the 90s the whole aesthetic is all very like fun and kid-centered and like just the greasy food and the uh, and then this movie of course i think the slimiest moment in the movie is we get a classic sliming type scene but it's with ketchup and mustard which i think are almost as slimy as slime itself i mean we had the food fight and max keeble made good use of condiments but i think that the the sliming of the villains in this movie with ketchup and mustard is a a hallmark of slime if there ever was one and it's just that he's dual wielding the ketchup and the mustard <laughs> yeah when i when i first saw this movie on and i reviewed it it was my most liked letterbox review for a while and and the review was you know you're in peak slime house when the bad guys get sprayed with ketchup and mustard guns <laughs> oh my gosh yeah i and i love i mean yeah we get kind of a two for one because we have these we have these henchmen in the movie from Mondo Burger who who are just kind of the classic like henchmen punching bags and you know they get sprayed with Mondo guts or whatever's in those burgers and, and then you know the mustard ketchup guns it's it's just um it's kind of everything you wish you could do at home <laughs> another uh kind of food gadget i want to talk about is the milkshake machine that Ed tries to fix on his own and he doesn't think to turn the switch on. He just goes in there right in the middle of this milkshake machine, which is like this. It's like a giant box with a, a ball of pink liquid in the center of it. So he, it's like a little tank. And he goes in there with a wrench to try and fix it rather than the old-fashioned way of just turning a switch on. Yeah, it reminds me of um, in Willy Wonka when Augustus Gloop gets stuck in the chute, you know? <laughs> just like yeah, the yeah. way he looks inside this glass uh, container of sorts and covered in slurpy smoothie be, material <laughs> i would definitely get my vote for the slimiest scene in this movie and just like the fact that like it doesn't look like it would actually make milkshakes it's such like a the way the liquid looks it looks too runny to like actually make any kind of ice cream it looks more like a cotton candy maker or something I don't or know. like pepto-bismol or snow cone snow cone thing yeah. also is this why mcdonald's uh, machine never works because they just don't turn it on like they need to watch <laughs> I good about burger. this today like the fda is like investigating the mcflurry machines it's nuts <laughs> it, it's just it's that widespread wow dang oh my god
Pictures, in association with Nickelodeon Movies, present Keenan and Kel. Get you kindly point us in the direction of the little girl's room. In the family comedy with everything on it. Why? In a weird way, this might actually be like a more succinct episode because it's kind of like everything what you see is what you get like you don't need to kind of decipher yeah. the slime house nature of this movie because i feel like it in a lot of ways it doesn't feel like every other slime house movie it feels kind of singular to me but it's but every beat of this movie is, is just so slime house so it's like okay do you want to talk about the episode or do you want to just play it from the very beginning and see <laughs> yeah. everything? Like it's a movie that's like, it wears its slime on its sleeve so much that like, it's sort of self-explanatory and like it's going through it. It's hard not to just devolve into just like listing off everything that happens in this movie in the order because it's like <laughs> pretty much all tropes. And like you said, like it's not that this movie is like feels derivative or repetitious if anything it's one of the more unique slime house movies we've watched just as far as like the humor is like the the writing the, the plot even the the visuals it like doesn't really feel like any other movies we've watched but still it's sliminess is so self-explanatory that like you can't really dig into it in the way that even something like max keeble which is of course an extremely slimy movie you can it's just like all the gags in this are 100 percent slime and all like the visuals, all the plot lines, it's just kind of feels very, I mean, this is early, relatively early in like the primetime slime. And it kind of feels like it, if it didn't set the template, at least set the style of humor going forward for Slimehouse in a lot of ways. And it's interesting because it kind of reminds me of when we covered Shark Boy and Lava Girl, where that's, a, in my opinion, a 10 out of 10 Slimehouse movie, but it doesn't have a lot of copycats, whereas something like Home Alone you watch Home Alone and you can see it's kind of the face that launched a thousand ships. Like there are so many knockoffs of Home Alone. I don't think I can name a single knockoff of Good Burger, partially because it probably wasn't as big of a theatrical box office runaway. It's not like The Grinch, where then you got The Grinch who was so successful, let's make Cat in the Hat, you know, let's let's up the slime. It's, I feel like Good Burger kind of stands on its own, but its place in the slime house history is, is so clear and it's so apparent definitely a quintessential 90s movie but it still is very singular in what it's doing i feel like you have to put good burger in the same category that you put like wayne's world and ladies man and these properties that came from something else because it came from all that mm -hmm. so it came from like a small sketch and then turned into a movie so even half of the jokes in there are just like the stuff from the sketch redone like the connie maldoon and the angry construction worker and the manager like all these things are just stuff they just took from that so like that's probably why there's not so many copycats is because it's such an original property that it's like hard to really remember yeah because it's like i feel like this movie also does a much better job just to its credit of a lot of the like sketch comedy movies like that i think that were especially a lot of the snl movies didn't really build on their sketch ideas but i think you could watch this movie and like not really even know that it's based on the sketch and you don't get the impression that it's based on a sketch. It's just pretty much like the restaurant scenes are taken very much from the sketch and the whole welcome to Good Burger, home of the Good Burger, that's all from the sketch. But when you're watching those scenes in the movie, they're incorporated well and don't just feel like we're taking a detour to do the sketch stuff to remind the audience of what they love from the show. Very smoothly adapted from TV, which I don't think we see that all that often, especially with sketch comedy, which I think is particularly hard to turn into feature length.
I did want to bring up the like this movie. Sometimes I look into movies that are kind of stupid and I try to like really pull shit from them and be like, this is a, a cinematic masterpiece. But the plant and payoffs in this movie, without giving away spoilers, are so good because if you think about like when he's dancing and he's like swimming around in the milkshake, that comes back later and how he gets into Mondo Burger. If you think about his favorite spot is on the roof of Good Burger, that gets that comes back later when he's like, oh, I know where to go, how to get into Mondo Burger. So like a lot of this, uh, and then also like his dream of rescuing the burgers, like comes back when he has a connection with Linda Cardellini's character because she also did the same thing but with kangaroos. <laughs> so like it's like uh, the way he wrote this, I was like, it's just a comedy, stupid, silly movie, but. They do take the time to like have little like plant payoffs or come back to jokes. So I think that's what makes it still good for us as adults. Yeah, I think Sinbad as the teacher is a really well incorporated running gag through the movie that like anytime they like accidentally like destroy something or smash something up, you know you know he's gonna walk out and be like, Oh no, my mailbox, oh no, my car. Like I think that's a really well done comedy running gag running bit in the movie. <laughs> The, the way his character is used is re- reminds me very much of the principal in Snow Day. And he's just this killjoy kind of authority figure. I think that's the closest thing this movie has to an anti-authoritarian kind of streak to it. Because I think it's more about, like, rival business. And that's not really a Yeah, I mean, it is. Mondo Burger is sort of presented in a very fascistic way, I feel. Like, like I mean, like... Yeah. Because we talk about, like, like, yeah, like the sort of, like, Slimehouse radicalized millennials. Like, this doesn't have it as hardcore as, like going up against the man, but it really is like the, the underdog against like the way Mondo Burger is represented is just sort of like this tyrant in control. What's his name again? Klaus or something or there you go. <laughs> yeah. He's a, and, and the way he just kind of like dictates everything and they all have to like dress the same and like be very like, it feels like a very militaristic compared to Good Burger where they're all kind of a, a family and yeah. all take care of each other. <laughs> and Sinva does have a line that, Unfortunately, it's a pretty evergreen line, but feels very relevant today. When Keenan smashes his car and he's like, I hate to put a black man in jail, but I'm gonna have <laughs> oh, to. that's so yeah, good. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's like, I don't know, we think about, like, that would feel like a joke in today's context, but you realize that, like, I have the same thing when you have jokes about, like, feminism or things like that that feel very modern, but you realize that these concepts are kind of evergreen like they they've been talking about these types of things for 20 years or more and so well we've been making jokes we as in black people been making these jokes forever y'all just started listening to it last mm. year <laughs> not wrong not wrong <laughs> <laughs> one thing we we kind of touched on is this is also aside from slimehouse very quintessential 90s movie and i think the soundtrack really represents that well i think this might be one of the earlier Slimehouse movies we've seen, the earliest maybe, that has a very heavy ska presence. And this actually has a original ska song by Kel Mitchell, We're All Dudes, which where he sort of just incorporates his catchphrase he has through the movie where he's like, he's a dude, she's a dude, we're all dudes, because he calls everybody dude. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually didn't learn this till later, but the ska song, it's actually Less Than Jake featuring Kel Mitchell, so ska royalty. Yeah, 
You know what? That catchphrase is very ahead of its time because, I mean, I agree with Nelson. There's a lot of this that, like, we watch now and we pick up. We're more kind of, like, in tune to, like, what societal issues the jokes are about. But one thing about that, if I could go into it, is that it's actually teaching the idea of I'm a dude, he's a dude, she's a dude. That's, like, a very, like forward-thinking way of being inclusive yeah breaking down the the gender binary and uh, (laughs) And i I think that's something that wasn't around in the 90s yeah at least not even in anything close to the mainstream but but, dude um, is a gender neutral term i i learned exactly so i think another thing that i want to say about slime house music and i first noticed this with princess diaries is that it they often involve very literal lyrics which i think just shows that like kids kids sometimes <laughs> need a little extra push there's literally a lyric yeah, that says yeah. hanging out and having fun and it's when they're hanging out and having fun so <laughs> i feel like that's my that's a new trope i'm gonna latch on to well, and well and i mean when they introduce the character roxanne played by carnal Lecter, you get of course like jared said the song roxanne yeah and can't you know, be more obvious why complicated? I mean, yeah <laughs> yeah princess diaries is definitely the most on the nose with that but i think that we'll see that more where just like the soundtrack oh what's a song for when they're hanging out and having fun hanging out and having fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah another another very 90s uh thing in this excited when we mentioned carmen electra i think that's a very 90s cameo and then i mean he's evergreen he's one of the number one all-stars of all time but very prominent shaquille o'neal cameo in this which is yes. always good to see and i think Shaq, i mean a slime house legend in his own right with uh kazam and it's always nice to see him pop up and i think his cameo in this i think is a uh, is good it's a funny cameo and i think it's like it's sort of a play on the we're all worthy wayne's world thing which i think mike mentioned wayne's world a little earlier which this feels like it takes some of that as influence but yeah always nice to see Shaq and like a celebrity cameos like topical celebrity cameos I think will always be a a slimy hallmark and you definitely see that here with Shaq something that I like think about when I saw this movie again what two or three uh, two days ago Uh, anyway I saw it sometime but is that with Keenan uh, Thompson as the lead you have the big guy that's in the fry cook uh, area you have the manager Dan Schneider you have that really big giant guy in the mental institution um, and just all those characters I was like I feel like they really turned like the, the actual idea of what a leading man looked like up on up, upside his head because Keenan should not be it should probably be like Kel should be like the main guy right based off like how he looks Keenan's kind of heavier set stuff like that but like I feel like they didn't care about that and then even in all the other characters that they incorporated into this they really were just like we're gonna pick all the weird looking people that are not your your regular mm-hmm. main characters and kind of put them in the forefront yeah, so I like that yeah. yeah particularly like the mental institution scenes which like have have not aged well in some aspects. I mean, they're definitely very much a product yeah, yeah. of their time as far as like the depiction of the mentally ill. But I do think that like lots of like interesting looking like character actors, older actors, overweight actors, like in the in in this film, which you don't really see such interesting diverse extras casting a lot in Slime House. Yeah. And it's like I think that middle institution scene is a odd scene we got the george clinton cameo that we mentioned earlier but i feel like the movie sort of if there's any point the movie goes off track a little it's there but i do think there's lots of slimy stuff in that as well including uh, when we mentioned george clinton it devolves into like a sort of musical number in the middle institution that kel is leading and i think that a random choreographed dance number thrown in the middle of a scene feels very nickelodeon feels very 90s and i think that that adds to the 
the sliminess of the movie. Because like we said, like if we want to cover everything slimy in this movie, then we would just be recapping every moment <laughs> of the movie. Because it really yeah. is like hard to even state how like how prototypical of a Slimehouse movie this feels like. I do want to get one more shot in. Well, first of all, we haven't talked about the secret sauce, which is like oh the yeah, the plot uh, movie revolves around, and the Shack cameo revolves around, it, and Colonel Electra is there to find out what's in the sauce. Mm-hmm. Going into that, the date scene with her in this movie takes place at this kind of like Camelot arcade kind of like place, and it's called it's the Malibu Park Arcade. I don't know if it's still around, but I want to give a shout out. My very favorite arcade machine of all time is featured in the background when they're eating corn dogs, and that is Die Hard Arcade. <laughs> oh Hell yeah. yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. I always think of the, that and the RoboCop one together for some nice. reason. Spent so much money on it. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I think the Ed reminded me the most of Pee Wee Herman, where like a woman's coming on to him and he just can't comprehend the fact that like that's something that happens when like you're adults, like <laughs> yeah. because like she's like. Do you want to go somewhere private? It doesn't that sound like more fun than mini golf? And he just says no, and like gets up and goes to start playing <laughs> mini golf. I think that's that was one of the funniest scenes in the movie, and that yeah. felt very like something out of Pee Wee's Big Adventure to me. Wait, can we? What is Roxanne's position? Because I thought about that. I was like, is she like a fry cook that he just pulled out and just dressed up? Is that like his? Is that his stepmom that's really hot? And he was like, can you help me? Like, of course. I guess him. that's true. Like, yeah, we have no idea where she came from. He's just like, I got a way to get this sauce, and it's just yeah. Carmen Electra. The female henchman is is a like in Dodgeball. I think of Frau. You know, I feel like that's like a sub sub. Uh, trope of like the female henchman whose job is often to seduce the the yeah, good it feel, guy it feels like a very like broad comedy trope even more than like a slime yeah i think it's, it yeah. skews a little older than slime house uh-huh. does it wait you brought up uh dodgeball and uh kurt who's like the bad guy in this and that whole mondo burger reminds me of dodgeball and i was like wow i feel Lobo like they gym. took yeah. they yeah they, they, they took elements from mondo burger yeah. for globo gym but then i was like good burger feel like kind of copied airhead or heavyweights oh yeah so mm-hmm. like which yeah. has been stiller still so like i was like wow ben stiller like stole his like trope yeah, back. But, i have you're yeah. right there's a lot of similar, like the underdog thing and, and the kind of the rival company yeah yeah one thing this reminded me a lot of and i mean it's even fast food specific was spongebob squarepants which is like of course a later nickelodeon but like the whole like the the evil fast food place trying to steal the secret recipe reminded me of (laughs) the 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 chum bucket and then like good burger very much felt like the crusty crab and i mean ed it's almost like a spongebob and patrick combination and like he's the like super optimistic childlike character but also like the dumb guy and then like yeah like i feel like there's a lot of similarities between this and spongebob even down to the specifically that it's burger restaurants yeah that's actually that's a really good compared and i never would have put them together but you're right like you can see a lot of the dna there and and actually it's interesting because spongebob i think started just like what two years after this movie like 1999 (laughs) 2000 so like yeah and that my last little tidbit with mondo burger is like another place where they're kind of ahead of their time is they're making their burgers bigger and bigger because they think that's what's going to sell and they're using gmos to do that which i don't even think (laughs) that was probably a common vocabulary word in 1987 i could be wrong but i i definitely don't remember talking about i didn't start hearing about gmos until much more recently than <laughs> yeah that, so. it was very fast food nation right yeah, yeah. and I, so i feel like that is it's just funny again like all set in fast food land but it's 
Slimehouse movies kind of want to have their burger and eat it too, in the sense that like they want to be critical of those things, but they also mm-hmm. are a commercial product. <laughs> so it's just kind of funny that like it's critical of like the fast food culture and type of food, but it also is that, you know, and like I definitely went to my Monty's and got a good burger after I saw this. So. Ooh, I might get Monty's after this. You <laughs> oh, just get, okay. No, like uh, today in prep for this, I went to Dick's Hamburgers out here in Seattle. Uh, Cause commercials. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's the in and out of Washington <laughs> State. It's good. Um, yeah. One thing on that that I noticed in this viewing, not the last one, is the when they are leaving the psychiatric hospital, which is quite the left turn in this movie, they steal a ice cream truck, and the name of the truck is O colon Beast. Obese. Oh, I didn't Obese. even the catch. Oh. I didn't even catch that. That was awesome, and it reminded me so much of like Osmosis Jones. Yeah, like, definitely uh, junk food humor. Yeah, yeah. See, they were well aware of what they were doing mm, there. That's a good, good pun. Good pun. And puns always are nice to see in a, in a good slime house movie. They're like Nelson sneaking in those little puns every now and then, trying to act like <laughs> we didn't know. Trying to smart. <laughs> what we get? That's what we paid the big bucks for. So it's time for what the moment you've all been waiting for. And uh, does anyone want to start the slime scorer? session i feel like i've made it clear throughout with how strong of a slime score this is going to be for me and i think this is a 10 i think it's one of the slimier films i think it's definitely like it's hard to even explain why it's so slimy because it's just so prototypical like down the middle like here's what slime is i mean it doesn't it it might skew a little older both with the audience and the characters than something like max keeble or even big fat liar but I still think that just how Nickelodeon is so influential on slime, and I think this is the the Nickelodeon movie. If you wanted to see like what Nickelodeon was all about, you could watch this movie yeah. and get it. And I think for that, like it's just a, it's an easy ten for me. I think this is on the top three the, of the original three that were on the list: Haunted Mansion, Good Burger, and Garfield: Tale of Two Kitties. This is probably the slimiest and the most <laughs> influential, and just the, the one of the most important slime movies that there is. I can't get over you loving Garfield and tell it to uh-huh. <laughs> And just like the fact that like, you skipped Garfield 1. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, two, so that's the slime. You said uh, slime. Yeah. <laughs> Not one kitty, I like yeah, two, two kitties. kitties. The more kitties, the more, more slime. <laughs> more hygiene. <laughs> yeah, this is, it's like a, a middle of the road, like a five for me. Just kidding. Oh. This is a 10. I mean, this is what Slimehouse is. I think that I was watching it with that mindset of like, is there anything that would prevent it from being a 10 and yet like we said there's all kinds of stuff along the way that just checks all the boxes even stuff like he has a single mom and like they disguise as girls like things like that that are more subtle slime house tropes as i said earlier about shark boy and lava girl i don't think this is a movie that created a lot of copycats but i think it just is so representative of nickelodeon and nickelodeon being such a banner for what slime house was as, as a movement i think that this is such an important movie for it and Kind of my usual 10 adage is that idea of like, could you watch this movie and understand Slimehouse? And I think that maybe this is the movie to begin with. If, you're, if you've landed on planet Earth and you want to learn about Slimehouse, this might be the single movie to watch. And for many, many reasons, it's a 10 out of 10. I mean, I can't really build off what Max and Nelson are saying here. Like, to get it out of the way, yeah, it's a 10 out of 10 for me as well. And... I think one thing that, like, I said this during Max Keeble, which is, could you really pitch this movie to somebody as anything other than Slimehouse? And here the answer is no, quite simply. It's no frills. 
really. And I think more so, like, you know, this is in the top three slimiest movies we've covered on the show. Uh, for my slime score, I mean, one, like, I don't think I would even be who I am, like, comedically or creatively if it wasn't for Kenan Thompson and Kale Mitchell. So, like, seeing this movie, it was great back then. It's great now. Let's be honest. You guys only did this movie so you can reference it every other episode. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so I feel bad for all the other Slimehouse movies to follow after because you're going to be like, I mean, it comparatively to, like, yeah, it's going to be like, it's going to be a Max Keeble. Yeah, we do that like with Max Keeble all the time. Yeah. It's like, but in Max Keeble, they do this. So, yeah, now we have another one to add to the roster. Hey, when it's slime, it's slime. So I think I mean every element of this movie is great. Like the lines are fucking awesome. When he says like, "Oh, you're a chicken." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought. Uh, I'm that sorry, was that is great. I think, yeah, uh, like, this movie's super funny. I think maybe the funniest Slimehouse movie that we've watched for the podcast, in my opinion. Uh, hilarious. Yeah, and then he finishes with the line like about the contract. He's like, "Oh, did you rip it up? Is it because I'm black?" Like, <laughs> come on, that is like peak comedy. So I think this movie establishes Slimehouse. It establishes children as comedians, mm. and it definitely helped Keenan Thompson uh, with his career. And I mean, it's just awesome. It's diverse, so I give it a ten. I give it eleven out of ten. How about that? Let's not even give it 10 out of 10. Let's crank it up a notch. Get a little extra slime yeah. in there because it's awesome. It to 11. All right. Well, uh, yeah, pretty succinct. It's a it's a rare unanimous score. Uh, Jasper will have to phone in at some point. but I, I can only guess what I, it's going to be. Yeah. So. I, and with that, I think there's just one more thing to say here. Welcome, Welcome to, to Slimehouse. Slime oh, the Slimehouse. Can we take your order? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yay! Thanks for yeah. having me. Yeah, it was a great time. Good, yeah. Yeah. Good burger. Y'all ready for this? Can I take your order? So in Slimehouse podcast tradition, uh, we have a birthday coming up. So uh, we have a quick uh, appearance on the end of this show from Dorothy, who has a birthday coming up in September. And... Uh, we, uh, we it, per tradition, we like to guess what we're going to hear from what we're going to be watching. So the king and queen of Slimehouse each get their own pick that we'll be covering. Yeah, because I have a birthday just four days after. So yeah. I will wow. Be, will be same, mine. Uh-huh. same year? Uh, well, she's one year, one year younger. She's okay. one year younger. Right. So it's not oh. the exact same year, but still close. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Um, well, we'll do Max's next week. But for now, uh, mm-hmm. Dorothy, have you... Have you picked a movie? Can we find that out first? Yes, I have picked a movie. Okay. I'm really right. excited about my choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let me ask, because you did mention one movie previously. Is it that movie that you had mentioned? Yes. Or, okay. <laughs> so, um, so then we all, yeah, we know it. Uh, so I, um, I'll start. Um, okay. On behalf of Jasper, uh, him and I have the same pick for guesses for both of your choices actually well, we're, jared we're not doing max's birthday we're doing that after because that okay be okay sorry it's just going to be a different episode so, uh, so then why don't we oh we'll so just... so this is going to get tacked so dorothy's is getting tacked on yeah. the good burger Correct. yeah, yeah. And then we're, we're doing on both on so, yeah. yeah just for that so um not paying attention okay so then uh we we don't have to guess because we we got a hint prior but uh, <laughs> um but dorothy why don't you tell us uh 
Tell us what we're in for next week. My birthday pick is Pee Wee's Big Adventure. An all-time so classic. All yeah, right. a personal favorite of mine as well. So I'm very much looking forward to talking about it. That actually came up a lot in Good Burger, Pee Wee did. So it's be interesting to have these two in such close succession. And you Jared's know birthday choice was, oh, sorry. Jared's birthday choice was Killer Clowns from Outer Space. So we're kind of continuing the proto-slime 80s vibe here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. What I love about that pick is it is our first Tim Burton movie. And we talk about Tim Burton quite a lot. And so mm-hmm. I think it's about time we saw Also, it. I just noticed now that you mentioned that, Dorothy, this is our second birthday pick with the Chiodos brothers in the, <laughs> involved. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. They did all the effects for Pee Wee. So, and they, of course, all directed right. Killer Clowns. So. Slimehouse, a podcast created by Jared Anderson, Jasper Birnbaum, Max Morris, and H. Nelson Tracy. If you like this episode, you can find more fun on slimehousepod.com. Our website is created by Brian Hume of Valencia Creative Company. Our theme music, composed by Greta Russell. Support this podcast at anchor.fm slash slimehousepod or by following us on social media at slimehousepod on all platforms.